Well, we continue today with a series that we began a couple of weeks ago entitled 50 Days of Transformation. And we have a theme verse for our series, which comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's one of those verses I've, uh, passages I've challenged you to memorize, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And in fact, I'd like for you to say this out loud with me, if you would. It's on the screen behind me. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Um, so what we've been looking at as we move through this journey is, is we've, we've grasped onto the fact that the, the primary way that we really experience change is to change the way we think. And God's agenda for changing us from who we are into the person that he wants us to be, God's agenda for changing us from a person who can't experience all of God's blessings to get in our lives in the places where God can really share his best with us is that he needs to change the way that we think. And so we're looking at some truths that God can teach us from some well-known passages in the Scripture that relate to the way God thinks about certain parts of our lives. And last week we looked at spiritual health. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at our emotional health and our mental health, and we're going to look at vocational and financial and relational health and those kinds of things. But today, we focus in on a topic that I'm sure all of us are excited to think about, and that is our physical health, right? God has designed our bodies to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so our bodies are, 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 uh, are important, and our physical health is important. So I got to tell you, you know, there's ways in which I wasn't overly excited about delivering this message. And that, you know, because there's a couple of pieces of that. I mean, there's a lot of great teaching in the scriptures about being good stewards and taking care of our bodies, but there's not a lot of specifics. It's not like you can just turn to a pastor of scripture and says, okay, every day you should do 35 jumping jacks and, you know, 15 push-ups and et cetera and run this far, you know, I'm preparing for the, the you know, the 100 meter race, you know, just I'm hoping I can do it under an hour kind of thing. And, and you know, I, it, you're not going to find that stuff in the Scripture. So there's a lot of pieces about just taking care of our bodies physically that it's really hard to communicate from the Scriptures with great authority. The other piece of that is my wife saying to me, you're really going to preach the physical health one? You're not going to try to get somebody else to do that one? I think she maybe thinks I'm just a little too fat. I don't eat right enough. I can still outrun her for the most part, and those kinds of things. But, you know, um, and so there's little, but, you know, I, I'm not trying to, to minimize the importance of that, and there's a lot of great materials and resources and et cetera that you can get video downloads and this and that and do all kinds of different challenges. I, and, and I want to encourage you to take it along those lines. But, but I do want to speak today from a place that has a lot much more, much more biblical authority behind it. And what I want to talk to us specifically about is something that affects our physical health in a tremendous way, and that has to do with the stress that we have in our lives. You know, a few years ago, the Mayo Clinic put out a study, and, they, and what they concluded was that 80% of their caseload, this is at the Mayo Clinic, 80% of their caseload in one form or another could be traced back to people struggling with being overweight or being overstressed. 80%. And, and over and over again, there's been literally hundreds of studies that have showed that stress is bad for us physically. Now, in some ways, 
And, and you need to be more specific. It's that chronic stress is bad for us physically. There's some ways in which our physical reactions of stress are actually good for us. If you're, if, you know, if, you're, if there's an oncoming bus coming at you, right, and, you're, and you're, the adrenaline pumps and your heart rate goes up and you're let, all that kind of stuff and you rise to the challenge, that's a good thing, right? It helps you get out of the way. But it's when we stay in a state of being chronically stressed out, we get to a place where our health starts to follow, fall apart. It, it impacts us negatively. And literally, they, they talk about the fact that, that literally billions of hours of labor is lost every year by people suffering and not being able to be productive because they're suffering from chronic stress. And there's lots of things in our world today that create stress. I mean, our outlines are now on your bulletin today, and you'll see those. And and I'm going to tick through some of these that are part of the the introduction. But when the Scripture talks about peaceful or stress-free living, and and as it's doing that, it's trying to give us some great encouragements on how to deal with things like worry in our lives. You know, we we just have this wonderful ability to imagine all kinds of what-ifs, don't we? You know, we, we just have this ability to be able to tune in and think about, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if my kid decides to do this? Or what if my kid doesn't decide to do this? And what if my spouse is What if this will? What if the stock market crashes? What if, you know, I got all my money in gold? What if they discover a reservoir of gold that's bigger than Lake Michigan? What's going to happen? We've got all kinds of what ifs that can create great. And, and it creates this worry in us. And, and worry, and I, the best description I've ever, worry is kind of like the, our emotional termites. You know, you really can't see them, but that doesn't mean that they don't eat away at the structure and let the thing, whole thing start to collapse. And, and we struggle with worry. You know, another area that we really struggle with is hurrying, just being busy. You know, we, we, <laughs> we seem to live in a time where there's just a famine of time. You know, no, nobody has any downtime. Nobody has any white space in their calendar. Nobody has any time to, to relax. And we're just in, in this tremendous rush all the time. And, you know, it's interesting. I saw a study that said since the early 1970s to today, the amount of leisure time among Americans has dropped by 40%. Right? And what's interesting is you, you go back a little further. In the middle of the 1960s, the United States Senate, believe it or not, as they were looking at all the technological advancements that were going on, they were starting to, and so they, they, they were looking, well, what's going to be the impact on the American labor market of all these technological in, in, things? And so they had some experts in. And one of the experts came in, and this is what he testified to. He says, with all the, all the technological advancements that are going on, all the stuff that's happening, he said Americans are going to have to make one of three choices. They can either choose to work 22 hours a week, and that's all they're going to need to work, or they can choose to work full-time for 28 weeks a year, and then they can take the rest of the year off. Or if they really want to work full-time, they can work full-time, 40 hours a week, until they're 38 years of age, and then they can retire. Now, which of those did you choose? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's, uh, and we, we live in a time, we're always rushing, and some of that is, is related to the crowds that we face. We, we live in a time when, when we're, just, we're just overwhelmed with crowds, right? Just lots of people. You know, in, in 1800, I didn't know this to this week, in 1800, there was one city in the world that had a million people in it, and that was the city of London. Now, there are... Well, you know, there, there are hundreds of cities across the world that have a million people in them or more. Some of the cities have more than 30 million people. They said last year in the United States that Americans spent 
um, 4 billion hours sitting in traffic. 4 billion. And at the cost of gas alone was over, was over was 6 billion gallons of gas. That, that probably would solve our energy crisis right there, right? If we just get those 6 billion gallons back when you're parked on 495. You know, and then all the road rage is happening because the guy in front of you isn't moving, he's doing two miles an hour instead of three, and you're getting mad and riding his bumper, you know. Uh, just lots. Of, I mean, we have all kinds of sources. Another source of, of stress in our lives is choices, right? You know, we, we struggle with, somehow we know in, the, in our heads that, that the quality of our life is somehow related to the choices that we make. And we, we know that there's a link between those two. And then we get inundated with choices. For example, and this is kind of frivolous, but just think of it. What happens when you turn the aisle at Walmart, in, at Walmart into the aisle that's set aside for shampoo, conditioner, and body wash? I mean, how many options do you have? You, you ever been there saying, okay, this one's a little bit more, but it promises to make my hair look extra thick, but this one's like half as much, and this and it's all going to go down the drain. And, 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 and you're just overwhelmed. You know, when you're in Wanda, you have the big one, you have the small one. It's the only choices you got, right? You know, you, you, you go down out to eat, you know, and probably the worst restaurant I've ever been in, 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 in this sense, is Finders and Keepers in West Boylston. Their menu is like 50 pages. You know, it's just one after another, after another, after another. And, and we just get overwhelmed. We're the days when the options for dinner were take it or leave it, you know? I mean, we just, we get, we get overwhelmed with stuff, right? And, and yet, you know, when I was in school, when I was in the, coming out of high school in the late 1970s, they said, you need to choose three or four schools and go take a look at them. Now kids are looking at 15, 20, 25 different universities. And then they're trying to pick one. You know, and, and we get overwhelmed with choices. We find that paralyzing. and It gets really difficult. Then we have conflict. You know, the more connected we are, the more potential for conflict that we have. And for many of us, our lives are just full of, of conflict, whether it's text messages or emails or Facebook postings or this and that, the, the the options for our privacy to be invaded, our worst moments to get publicized. You know, the, it used to be when you were having a mental breakdown, you know, in, in the car or whatever, and somebody wasn't holding a cell phone and taking a video of it and posting it up on the Internet, you know, afterwards. And, and, and the conflict just kind of keeps coming and the evasion of privacy and all that kind of stuff. And, and it flows into the fact that you and I today live in a, in a much more pluralistic society than we ever have before. And... And there's a lot of rich benefits to that, but in many ways it also creates some certain level of uneasiness and uncomfortability, right? Because we're disoriented just a little bit. You know, when my dad passed away last year at 81, when he left the farm at the age of 14, there was no running water, no electricity. They still either walked or took the horse and buggy to school. And virtually everybody around them went to one of three churches sitting on a little square in the middle of this village in the middle of nowhere. And everybody... Talked the same way, thought the same way, did the same thing for a living. Either they raised cows, they grew stuff, or they bought stuff, or they sold stuff to the people who were raising cows or, or growing stuff. I mean, it was all connected, right? Now we live in a very pluralistic kind of world, but some of that is, what do I say? What am I doing? Am I, gonna offend? I remember when we, we hired a guy, I didn't tell the story in the first service, at the, at the Baptist Convention of New England. He was from Brazil, you know? And, and, and after a few months with us, you know, we, we'd be in some meetings and et cetera, and you know, and, I, and I'd give him the okay sign occasionally. And he can't even say, you know, in Brazil, that's a dirty sign. I'm thinking, really? Okay? And he says, yeah, we go, you know, so then I started, you know, because we just, sometimes we get to, we don't know what to do. And so we kind of feel out of sync. And the, the list just kind of goes on and on. And I'm not trying to overwhelm you because 
you know, we, we have enough fear of the future without me adding fuel to it, right? I mean, we, we, we just struggle of all the different things. You know, what's going to happen to Social Security? Tell me, if you're over 50, have you ever thought that question yet? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, my idea is if they're not giving Social Security because nobody really saves for retirement the way they should anymore, they're going to have to put everybody on welfare, so it's just going to be a different name for Social Security. But, I mean, we, we, we face all these kind of questions all the time, right? And we get overwhelmed with, with these issues, and our stress levels go up. And then when we wonder why our lives don't feel very good and we don't feel well, we're subject to this chronic level of stress in our lives that's coming at us from all different directions. And, and i got to tell you, there are some great teachings from the Word of God that speak to us about how to manage stress in our lives. Now, this, I'm, this is not designed to be a counseling session. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm going to use one of the best-known passages of the Scripture, and I'm going to show you some great truths today that could, if we will latch on to the one that's most appropriate to us in our journey at this point in time, God can really use it to begin lowering the stress levels. And, and, I, and I challenge you to pick out the one that needs to be your goal for transforming your physical health related to stress as we go forward. And we're going to be in the 23rd Psalm. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Psalm 23 with me. Page 465, if you're using one of our Black Pew Bibles. Page 465. This is a psalm that has tremendous comfort and assurance in it. I would venture to say that 80% of the funerals that I do, this pastor's scripture gets read in one form or another. Whether it's the subject of the message or it's another pastor's scripture that's read for encouragement. But just listen to these words, and then I'm going to go back and unpack some truths for us related to some things about how to deal with all these stressors in our lives, the worry, the hurry, the the conflict, the the overwhelming level of choices, and the indecision that comes from it, and all those things. And God says to us, the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me besides quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live, or forever, as some of your translations read. Great passage of Scripture. It's actually not all that hard to memorize. If you've not taken on that challenge yet, that might be something you want to do. And just have it something that's always with you. Nobody can ever take it away from you. And, and I, I want to just quickly, in, in the time we have left, pull out six truths that really speak to how our faith in God it's supposed to really transform the way that we relate to the things that cause us stress in our lives. And here's the first thing that I, that I want you to see. Look at how David starts his journey. Now, David knows what he's talking about. Dave, David's had a lot of problems. He's been chased by kings, chased by his enemies, betrayed by his family. He's had all kinds of issues, right? And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I lack. And one of the great truths that I want you to see is that you and I, need to stop looking to other sources to meet our need and just start looking to God, God alone. There is a tremendous 
power, this releasing power that comes from simply saying, I will trust God. It's, it's, it's an amazing ability just to, to lower the, the meter on our stress levels and, and things. It's just, I am going to trust God. So often you and I are trusting other people and other situations and other things to meet some of the greatest needs in our lives. When we think about having a sense of security, when we think about having a sense of significance, when we think of having a sense of identity and purpose and value, many of us are looking to other people or circumstances to meet those needs. We're, we're looking for our spouse to make us feel good about ourselves. We're, we're looking to our jobs to give us a sense of security. And the list just kind of goes on and on. And God said, you know, all of those things in one way or another are eventually going to fail. And you need to be looking to me to meet those deepest needs in your life. Those needs for significance and identity and value and strength and purpose. You need to be looking to me for those things. The Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I, I don't have any unmet needs. I do not want. You know, when I, when I meet with young couples who are getting ready to get married, one of the things that I... I really challenge them on it, it is, is that they really need to go into the marriage as whole people. You know, the, the scriptural mathematics, if you will, is that one plus one equals one when it comes to marriage. And it's not a half a person who's trying to find another half that somehow or another they can complete. It's when you, when, when you come as a whole person to God, you, 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 you found your fulfillment, you found your identity, you found your personhood, you found your strength, you, you found your value, you found those reservoirs from which to be able to give from. When you find all of those in God, you're able to give yourself completely to your spouse. But when you're in a position where you're needing to take all of that from them just to have it for yourself, I got to tell you that the relationships really start to struggle. And one of the greatest things that you and I can do to start lowering the stress levels in our lives, is to simply say, I'm going to trust God. I will trust God. I mean, David put it, Paul put it this way. He said, you know, my God, whom you've believed in, he will indeed supply all your needs. So don't worry. Don't worry. Trust. Jesus, seek ye first the kingdom of God. In other words, trust God first, and all this other stuff will be added unto you. Great great challenge for us as we deal with all the things that create stress in our lives and simply say, I trust God. Second thing, some of us, we just need, most of us, we just need to learn to take a break. Just to take a break. We need to learn how to rest. We need to learn how to rest. Notice what David says in verse 2. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, it's, I don't know what you believe about creation and evolution and all those kinds of things, and, 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 and it is important you make up your mind, and we, we, you know, we certainly have some who believe in, in six literal days of creation, etc. Lifting that all out of it, I, I clearly believe that God had a direct, firm, intelligent, guiding hand and develop who we are as people. And you know what? When God sat down at the drafting table and he started designing us up, why in the world did he design us to need eight hours of sleep a night? I mean, we only got 80 years, right? You're going to spend 30, 33% of your life 
if you're lucky. Some of you don't get near that much sleep. But you're going to spend 33% of your life asleep, seven to eight hours a night. You know, so you could just take, wouldn't it be nice if we just take the birth to 21? We just slice those off, right? We'll, we'll go live the rest of them, you know? I mean, it's, 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 you know, it, it's a huge portion of our lives, and, and, and God invites us to learn that you and I need to rest. We just need to rest. That, that's why this commandment to rest, to take a day off, to observe the Sabbath, actually made it into God's top ten, right? When you look at the Ten Commandments, right there along with not lying, not murdering, not stealing, not committing adultery is thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy. You know, Jesus, as he was fighting with the Pharisees about what that all meant and stuff, he said, listen, man wasn't made to serve the Sabbath. God gave the Sabbath as a gift to man. The Sabbath was made. It's a time for you and I to rest. You know, now I think the book of Colossians and some other places in the New Testament, you know, really kind of teach us it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. I mean, I, I work on Sunday. So Friday is my Sabbath day. It's the day that I just disconnect, try to stay off the grid, spend some time, and do the things that are appropriate for me to experience Sabbath. Some of that is, is for you and I to just rest physically. Most Fridays, I don't set my alarm clock. Doesn't mean I sleep really late. I wish I could sleep later on certain days. But, you know, it, it's, I, I just rest. If I feel like taking a nap, I take one. You know? And we rest. There's a need for us to refocus our spirits. And so you, you spend some time in worship. That's what you're doing today. You're trying to get your, your life kind of reoriented about the things that really matter most in eternity. And there's a way in which you recharge your emotions. You get out and you connect, you know, and, and you refresh yourself, you know. And whether that's a hobby that you do or some of the things, I, I think the suggestion here of quiet waters and green pastures means that we need to be taken in beauty, the kinds of things that feeds our soul, you know. And... Passion stuff, but many of us, we simply need to learn how to rest. A lot of us, the only time you've got set aside today to rest is the only Sabbath type thing you got is this hour when you're in worship. And when you get out of here this afternoon and tonight's going to look like every other day of the week. And then we wonder why we're stressed. God said, I've given you a great gift. Take a day off. Rest. Take a Sabbath. Disconnect, and it's something that you and I need to be doing in our lives and, and take those moments in. Third thing, because we need to move fast. <laughs> Look at the next verse. He says, do our Sabbath, our resting, he renews my life, and then with that he says he leads me along the right paths for his namesakes. Many of us, as we face this plethora of choices, we, we would we would lower the, the stress meter in our lives by huge amounts if we would simply just follow the Lord's guidance. We would just follow the Lord's guidance. Let, let me, just a couple great promises that come to us. You know, James, as he was writing to the church, he said, you know what, if you lack wisdom, if you don't know what to do in the moment, he said, ask God, and he's going to give to all men freely. So if we, don't, if we don't know what choice to make, ask God. Say, God, no, I need your wisdom. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And with that, God will give you direction at the right time. Sometimes we pray we don't get the answer right away. Well, you know what? Maybe you don't need the answer right away. And you need to, you, you need to rest in it and follow the Lord's lead. 
You know, I, I tell people all the time, don't leap until you get light. If, if God hasn't turned the, the light from red to green, then just keep waiting. You know, because God will give you direction at the right time. And it's powerful stuff when you and I follow the Lord's lead. You know, I, I told the first service, one of the things when Christina and I were moving to Sterling back in the, in the, the 19, early, middle 1990s, you know, part of that process, when you start looking for a house or whatever, they go in and they, they qualify you for a mortgage, right? And we qualified for a mortgage that was $100,000 more than what we actually spent on the house that we bought. I mean, we could have bought a lot more house, and, the, you know, the thinking is, you know, you know, you should buy all the house you can afford from day one because you'll be better off down the road, better investment, all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, wonderful. First, first of all, if I, if I take out that much debt, there's no way I can give the way I'm supposed to. And then giving's going to become a stress for me rather than an act of cheerfulness. Secondly, I'm thinking in my head, smaller mortgage, more toys. Less financial stress, motorcycle. You know, and, 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 and which is a stress release. You get to go out and do some stuff that you like, right? And, and, and we just followed the Lord's lead. And, you know, sure, there were times that came home and our boys said, why do we have the smallest house out of all of my friends? You know, and I'm thinking, yes, because they don't want to spend the night here. You can go there, you know, we get the night off. You know, there's lots of ways that if you just follow the Lord's guidance, it just, it just has a ripple effect right down the line, right? You know, I'm, I'm just te- but there are fundamental ways. I mean, let me just stop there because we're going to run out of time. Christina's thinking less coffee next week. Less coffee. Cut down on the caffeine. This next one is it's a profound word, but, but it's, it's in some ways really hard to communicate. You know, we just need to learn how to trust God in the shadows. You know, look at verse 4. It says, even when I go through the darkest valley, some of the more trans traditional translation says, even when I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil, for you're with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Part of, part of what you and I need to do when we get into moments where there really are a lot of genuine things in our lives that could create worry, they create pain, they create hurt, much like Darissa Darno is experiencing today. Much like other folks and some other folks in our church where they've, they, you know, they're having heart issues and, they, and they've been to see the doctor and the doctor says, we, we don't really know what's going on. We don't know what's causing this. And, 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 and the shadow gets just a little longer, right? Just a little bigger. And there's ways in the midst of all of that we just need to learn to trust in the Lord in the midst of the shadows. And, and I'm not trying to be frivolous about this, but God, God says, listen, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lead you around the shadows I'm going to walk with you through the shadows. And we need to learn to trust God in the shadows. You know, and, and, and I don't know if God chose this imagery for this, this reason, but when you think about it, most of the time the shadow is a whole lot bigger than the problem, right? And happened when you were a little kid, you know, and, and, and you could stand just right in the sun, and, you know, you're about three and a half feet, four feet tall, and your shadow could be 15 feet, right? You know, it just it looks like a much bigger problem, but when, when you and I turn around and put our eyes on the light, the shadow goes away, and the problem comes into focus, and it's not near as big. And David, he, he knew what he's talking about. You know, you could go over and, and look at 
in, in Psalm 18, just a few psalms before this, and he's saying, the Lord is my defender. You know where David is when he's writing that? He is hiding in a cave from King Saul who's out to kill him. And he says, the Lord is my defender. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow, but God's with me. <laughs> and his rod and his staff, those things that he uses to protect me and to guide me, they're with me and they comfort me. And there's, and there's powerful ways in which you and I, in the midst of the shadows, just need to say, I trust God is here. And we need to understand that it is not the very fact that we have difficulty, genuine, honest, full-blown difficulty, struggle, pain in our lives does not mean that God has abandoned us. God is just as much at work in the difficult moments as he is in the good moments. And often we think, well, you know, we're only supposed to experience good, and if we're having problems in our life, then, 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 then God's just not on the job. That's not the case. We need to trust. We learn to trust God in the shadows as we go through. And I, I really would like to just say a brief word in here that, that the Bible never really tells us not to feel pain. It never, it, it, it act, in fact, the Bible it encourages us to grieve, which is to, which is to, to, to feel the, the sense of loss, the pain that comes as we go through various transitions in life and, 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 and et cetera. What the Bible tells us is not to let that grief turn into fear because the Bible never encourages us to fear. It says, you know, perfect love drives out fear. Every time the, an angel showed up and met somebody, he says, don't be afraid. God's trying to drive out the fear. And the way we get from grief to fear is that we let the grief solidify and let me use the word hurt in our lives. So the pain, which is normal and real, which should become and somehow or another becomes to define who we are, it shapes the way we see everything. We become bitter, suspicious, insecure. We become, you know, always got fearful, and, and then it just translates into fear. We're fear of other people, fear of the future, fear, and it just keeps going. And God says, no, 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 trust me in the shadow. I'm walking with you. Look for me. Look for the light, and I'll guide you through. It's a couple more points. The next one I, I want to make is that we just need to let God fight our battles for us. Just let God fight the battles for us. It seems to be that we live in a time when the, the, the bent that our world has is, I want to find out what's the matter with you. I don't, want, I don't want to celebrate what's good about you. I want to try to find out what's wrong with you and based upon that. My daughter-in-law works for a political uh, uh, firm. They're not, and, and she's not a campaign for a political firm. Her entire job, along with four or five other people on her team, is to listen to every word that the opposition candidates say and find out what's wrong with them. That's their entire job. And then when they say something they're not supposed to, their job is to make it so they make as much noise about their mistake as they possibly can. Politics, you got to love it, right? i got to tell you, that's the way we live our world, right? I mean, that's the way it is at work. Sometimes it's the way it is at home. It's the way it is in our neighborhoods. And, and the list just kind of, you know, it's, it, it, we live in a world that's becoming increasingly critical, demanding, and rude. You know, and, and, and sometimes you can't win for losing. You know, I, my sermon's too long. Somebody else thinks it's too short. Same sermon. You know, and it goes back and forth. Or for a while, they love everything you do, and then they hate everything you do. And the list just kind of goes back and forth. And, and we need to get to a place where we say, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to do what's right in the eyes of God, and I'm going to let what I do 
and how I do it and what I say when I'm doing it speak for itself and let God take care of it. Here's the imagery that comes out of this passage of Scripture. It says, He prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies, and he anoints my head with oil. The imagery there is the victory banquet that happens when the battle's over. All the bigwigs from the opposing army who lost, they get to stand along the wall, and they get to watch the victors celebrate the victory with a huge banquet, oil flowing over their heads, anointing. We're the, we're the victors, and they have to stand on what David's saying. The day's going to come when my enemies, those who are trying to destroy me, are going to have to stand and watch the victory banquet because God has delivered me because he's my defender. And when there's parts of that where you and I just really need to let God fight our battles for us. You know, the, the, the rate of cultural and social change has, has really picked up. And, 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 and there's many who are, are trying to call the church to become activists, to stand up. And we need to, we need to be on the opposite street corner doing the same thing. We need to be having our own, all this kind of stuff. I, you know, there's a lot of me that just simply thinks that if the church would just really be the church, that would be more than enough. If somehow or another we feel like we've got to go out and defend God, if we would just stand truly in the presence of God and be the people of God, there'd be plenty of strength in all of that. Because God is our defender. And, and, and anyway, you, it takes great strength and humility to say, I'm going to focus on God, I'm going to do the right things, I'm going to do the right things in the right way, and I'm going to be the right person doing the right things in the right way. And then let God speak defend you without you having to do it. That's what Jesus did as he stood before Pilate and the others. But one last truth I want to point out to you here. Look at, look at the last verse. Only goodness and faithful love, only goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For, 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 great passage. One of the great ways that you and I can lower the stress meters in our lives is simply to believe that God's going to finish what he started. God sent you out in this journey. God's going to bring you to the end of that journey. Expect God to finish what he started. The imagery from this passage of Scripture is really great. I, you know, the, I, I only met one, I've only met one shepherd, guy who took care of sheep. I've only met one shepherd in my entire life. Guy in Wyoming. Um, strange fellow. I think you have to be a strange fellow, actually, to be a shepherd in the 21st century, right? But it, it, I was doing this training, and he was a part of this church when he wasn't out with the sheep. And, and I was asking him, so well, wh- tell me what your life is like. He said, well, you know, I'm in for certain seasons, but for the most part, I'm gone three to four months at a time. There's me. There's my chuck wagon. He actually lived like in a chuck wagon, one of those tarp things, whatever, and had a horse, a four-wheeler, and two dogs. And sometimes he'd take the four-wheeler out to the road, and he'd leave his list of what his needs were, and they'd hang it on a post, and he'd come back a couple days later, and they would, bring, they would have brought the stuff, and they would have left it. He picks it up and takes it back with him, right? And, and the rest of the time, he's out there by himself, and he's leading the sheep, and the sheepdogs, they trail along behind to keep everybody together. So the imagery that God is using here is he says, listen, I'm leading you down the path. And in the back, there's two sheepdogs. One's named Goodness, 
and the other one's named mercy. And they're keeping you on the path so you get to the place where God's trying to take you. And if you and I can just expect God, if we just really go ahead and believe the promise that God has made to us, that he's going to finish what he started, that he's going to bring us to the end of this journey and, and bring us to the place of, of peace, contentment, joy, hope, eternal life, whatever the peace is that you need to embrace in this moment, we just need to expect God to finish what he started. Now, as we move through this very rapidly, one, one, of, one or two of these is really kind of lifted up more than others to me. And I challenge you to spend a few minutes today while you take some Sabbath, say, you know, what is the one that I really need to make my biggest goal to try to work on over the next three to four months? When I get to, to the Labor Day, how do I want my journey related to stress and worry and hurry and conflict and choices and all this? How do I want that to be different? And what is it that you really need to do? But I want you to start with this question today. There's a little word in this, this psalm that we overlook all the time, and it's the word my. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. None of this stuff works. None of, it, none of it has any value that really sinks in unless the Lord is your shepherd, a choice that you need to make. So I invite you to really think about today, is God really your shepherd today? Let's pray as we get ready to conclude our service. as we stand here today, we know that we can't change the world. We can't make the stresses go away. But we can change the way we respond to them as we let you change us. We change what we think. God, I pray today for us as a body that we would truly believe that you are our shepherd and all these great truths become realities in our lives. So I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite our ushers and our, uh, to come in just a moment and receive our offering, and we're going to conclude our service by singing another song. Just a chance for you to begin the process of kind of letting the truth kind of settle into your heart and your mind. Stand with me together as we sing to the Lord. God, we thank you for this reminder that you're involved in our lives sometimes you have to make us lie down in green pastures you have to make us stop and rest and think about you and god for many of us we may already know what plans we had for the day what we need to get done and god we we pray that we would just say no i'm not going to do it i'm just going to rest I'm just going to spend time in your word and spend time in fellowship talking about what we've heard today and Spend time just playing some, some worship music and, and worshiping you in my own home. Just give me that day. I want more of you before I go back out to the week and just kind of trudge through the, some of the things that we have to get done and just the things that kind of weigh us down. God, lead us from stressed to being blessed. We ask for your guidance and your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.